You are about to enter the Create Unknown, and if you support us on Patreon, you'll have an emergency shipment on the way to you by the time you even hear this. We're shipping across the U.S. to Germany, to Brazil, to Australia, everywhere in the TC universe, and that even includes a peek at our upcoming t-shirt design. So make sure to follow us over at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. It's free to do it, and we post a heads up on Patreon before every live stream. We've done a bunch of those lately, and we've got lots more scheduled. Remember, 100% of Patreon goes to producing this show and back into the TCU community, except for what Kevin spends at Friendlies. And if you were on the last live stream, you know just how little that is. Patreon.com slash the create unknown. The links in the description. Hey, welcome to the create unknown. I am Kevin Lieber with me as always is Matthew Tabor. Matt, tell me something. I want to talk about tongues today. Tongues. Uh, I was on Twitter. You know, you see all of these people. Uh, you know, running their tongues down the items at the the grocery store. Have you seen these videos? Yeah, I think somebody actually was arrested for terrorism for doing that recently. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's a real thing. <laughs> I, uh, I know it just sounds kind of crazy that that it could be such a serious charge. It's definitely a bad idea and not sanitary even in the best of times, right? Um, but it, it got me thinking about identifiability with with licking items at the grocery store um you can certainly test saliva and you can test for dna i mean there's a lot of stuff being left on these items when you lick them right i got onto this this research from 2007 called tongue print a novel biometrics pattern uh where they they claim that tongues uh Tongues basically have fingerprints. What? Uh, that yeah, that they're uniquely identifiable in a way that you're biometrically identifiable by your tongue. This is pretty interesting. I didn't know that. I knew that that sometimes you'd find find patterns that were very human-like in nature. So, for example, koalas have fingerprints, unique fingerprints, the way humans do, and really nothing else does. Uh, but at t- it in certain circumstances in Australia, I suppose, uh, koala prints have been confused for human fingerprints. They're that close. But I didn't know that any animal, including humans, had tongue prints. So what I'm trying to say to you, Kevin, to anybody listening here, is when you commit crimes, be very wary of what you do with your tongue and what you press it on. (laughs) <laughs> because there's a, a non-zero chance that it will be your downfall forensically. And if you are some sort of crime-committing koala, we will find you. We will dust for fingerprints and we will track you down for, you know, stealing old man McGillicuddy's eucalyptus leaves. I, I've always thought it was kind of fascinating to, like, if you could train koalas to kill, you could have them commit murders and leave fingerprint evidence that would be the the best possible red herring for actual investigators. <laughs> How is this not some it's sort of sci-fi crime. novel? Maybe this is this is your <laughs> idea. This is your great novel idea. It's like killer koalas <laughs> from the year like thirty ninety nine. I have a book called Kill, Killer Koalas from Outer Space. It's a, a 
book of comics, which I like a lot, but there's no there's no murder plot in it. Oh. Well, there should be. Maybe you could uh, attain the rights and license it for a sequel where uh, <laughs> you're like a detective or something hunting down <laughs> murderous <laughs> koalas. Well, uh, we had we had a great week. We had a live stream on Friday about casual dining restaurants and the champion, which I think was a tremendous surprise for definitely for the both of us for me was Red yeah. Robin was the champion. Red Robin. Who knew? And how do you describe Red Robin for somebody outside the U.S.? Because I, I don't think they're international. I can't recall that they are. No. And they don't even seem that famous like i don't remember seeing a whole lot of red robin commercials right but but all i remember is how they had that campaign where it was like red robin yum oh yeah like you remember that (laughs) yeah i do now yeah so red robin is a is a burger place it's a burger restaurant they have a bunch of different specialty burgers with lots of lots of toppings on them and part of their claim to fame is that they give you like endless French fries, so you can just steak fries. You could too. just keep Those big getting thick ones. Yeah, fries forever, forever and ever until mm-hmm. you're so bloated that you need to roll out of Red Robin. You need to do the Red Robin roll. <laughs> and if you weren't in the live stream, you missed Kevin talking about our lowest ranking establishment on the list, which was Friendlies and. Uh, literally being scarred for like 30 years by by the state of the bathroom in that friendlies. Yeah, yeah. I was a small child. I don't remember how young, but, you know, probably five. I was little. I had to go to the bathroom. We were at friendlies. I walk in and I witnessed pure horror. Just <laughs> pure, like, just the worst toilet situation that I could have, my little five-year-old brain had ever seen, could ever imagine. And uh, it was so clogged and so full and so disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Now I associate friendlies with like a disaster toilet. Well, it sounds unfriendly to me. Have you encountered a a more awful bathroom sense or was that that the worst? I encountered a bathroom in Memphis, Tennessee in a Wendy's. That, that had uh, no stalls. So it was just like toilets. Oh. It was just toilets. <laughs> it was just like toilets in a room. And that was frightening. Well, there's a place that I know both of us have been dozens and dozens of times uh, in the old hometown. A bar that oh, does not have stalls in the bathroom. Correct. It's it's two urinals and then just an open exposed toilet. The entire bathroom is probably 12 feet long. <laughs> it's so like a closet. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, a, yeah, it's a closet. Um, it, that always presented a problem to me. I always, always had a bit, bit of a, some anxiety about whether I would be out and I would need to use that toilet. And uh, God, just the prospect, just thinking about, what it would be like. It's upsetting. It's upsetting. Did you ever walk in on anybody using the toilet for, you know, serious business <laughs> while you just had to go pee? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> yep. I did. <laughs> uh, and another time I walked in with, uh, with uh, a friend of mine and there was 
a pair of underwear that had been very badly, very badly soiled <laughs> just sitting in the sink. <laughs> oh, so, in the sink. Wasn't there a garbage can? Yep. There's no garbage in that bathroom? There must have been. I, the whole gar- the whole bathroom is, is a garbage can. <laughs> Anything goes in there. <laughs> there are no there are no rules in that kind of anarchy. Ugh. Well, before we get into our main topic of this this uh, episode, I know it's just like there's no easy. So that's what you missed out on, boys know, and girls. No easy way to transition out of uh, soiled underwear sink. But yeah, you missed out on that live stream. We should be doing another one. Uh, you know, as soon as we can, we love doing them. We love having you there. We'll let you know on Patreon. We'll let you know on Twitter, uh, and we'll let, let you know in the discord. But before, like I said, we get into our, our main topic, I just wanted to thank people for listening to the podcast during this crisis that we're in with the coronavirus, yeah. uh, things, if you haven't noticed are very weird right now, not just in the world itself, but also online. Uh, the internet is like a ghost town. You can almost see the tumbleweeds kind of just rolling through the dusty trail uh, everywhere you look. It's yeah, it's oddly grim uh, with some kinds of online media. And the initial thought was everybody's stuck at home, podcasts, YouTube, streaming, all of it is going to completely explode because what else is anybody doing? And the reality is that some of those media have done okay, like Netflix and Hulu are getting pretty heavy use right now, and that's cool. Um, YouTube is a mixed bag. Yeah. And podcasts, uh, you know, podcasts are way down, way down. And I, I think it's a bunch of things, like it shows you how many people listen when they're on a commute to work or school or something like that. Take away that commute, you take away podcast hour. Yeah. Uh, there's just a bunch of things conspiring uh, to, to limit that kind of thing. And so it's really been incredible to see so many people continue to listen here to support on Patreon in record numbers and uh, just participate in stuff like the live streams and on discord and shooting, uh, emails and comments on different things. Like it's really, it's really amazing stuff to see that. Yeah. So, so meanwhile, while the entire kind of podcast world is in a huge lull like you said we've had our best month ever on patreon at the same time so uh we just really want to thank all of you who have decided you know amidst this chaos to to really kind of dig in with us and supporting the show and making sure that the show can continue and we have a lot of stuff coming to you uh you know dumpster crew on up uh, very soon in, yep. in, in your mailbox. It is uh, literally final package time once we're done recording today. Um, so uh, you'll get, uh, yeah, uh, if you're following along on the Patreon, you'll get an announcement when uh, the post office actually has this stuff. Uh, but that that support through March, like it's just made it very easy to do the live streams and keep uh, going on these episodes and all of that. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And it, it, it isn't awesome for other people, you know, and I, I see, I've seen a lot of people struggling uh, with their kind of audience checking out. And I think this is a, a testament to who listens to this show where it's people who are making something regardless of what's going on around them, whether it's some strange uh, force that they can't do anything about, or they have, 
some personal issue that throws you off, they're still plowing through and they, they want to think about creative stuff and uh, just kind of go over some of these topics. So it's just uh, the whole thing is is a testament to um, all of you. Well, it is. And, and it's a, the people who are still kind of grinding on stuff while the world is in turmoil. I mean, I think that's really going to pay off. I, I just do. I think that Absolutely. a lot of people right now do not have that motivation. They are just kind of in a general malaise, which I completely sympathize with and completely understand. Um, it's a very, very stressful time. But at the same time, if you're if you're able to kind of push through that and still make your music and still make your videos and still you know work on your script or your book or, or whatever it is, I really think when we come out of this, hopefully sooner than later, um, it'll be only for the best. You know, you, you, you keep flexing those muscles, you keep lifting those weights creatively, and you're not going to end up on the other side of this being out of shape, you know? Weird things are opportunities like that. And I know it, it sounds kind of uh, LinkedIn-ish, uh, motivational speaker-ish to say that, but it's it's really it's really true like that you can take this bizarre thing and and do something with it and i think i talked about this before you know i made a font a handwriting font Mm -hmm. i did that because i had the flu this is seven eight nine years ago at this point i guess no dude and probably longer than that (laughs) this was like like 1872 when you made that font yeah this dude this was a long time ago i was oh oh you're right you're right. Um, oh, no. Yeah. It, so it wasn't seven or eight. Yeah, it was like 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I had the flu. And so I knew I was going to be on the couch all day doing nothing and not capable of much either. You know, reading was hard uh, because it, it just, I couldn't follow along with anything. So it's like, oh, now's a really good time to draw out the letters on a handwriting font because it's so low effort. It's so repetitive. I'd put it off forever because it was such a lame task and uh so i I just did it that day and it took me several hours how do you make a font and how do you do that back then um back then i did it all on paper and scanned each letter okay but then what and then um then uh trying to remember the process and whether i used a program for it whether it was mapping the images to the corresponding letter. Um, I, I forget, but you got to get the kerning right and all the, you know, these other elements. And I, I did some and not others because I wasn't taking it too seriously, but I uploaded that to a, to a font site and it's got like a quarter million downloads. And I even saw it on TV once Wow! it's in, it's being used by a, a, a salad dressing company as well. I've seen it in Walmart. Sweet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's just a neat thing, and that never would have happened if I hadn't gotten the flu. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like that day was lost, but I just did a goofy little thing that turned out to be kind of fun and and a, a cool thing in retrospect. Yeah, so if you have you know no other ambitions right now, make a font, and someday you too can be on salad dressing and television. But our our main topic has to do with a tweet that you saw. A few a few days ago, a tweet that I saw that had to do yep. with what a quote unquote real YouTuber is, right? 
Yes. And it was a breakdown, yes. uh, essentially saying that uh, unless you do every single step in the process from ideation to mm. upload, then you're not actually a YouTuber. That's right. The actual tweet reads as this. If you see a YouTuber who uses an editor, a thumbnail creator, a script writer, don't call them a YouTuber. They are not a YouTuber. They are simply a character in someone else's work. So, and that got about 500 likes too. Uh, and I, I really like the guy who, who made that tweet. Um, and I like his content too. I, I think he had some troubles with his channel getting hacked months ago. So I'm not sure where he's making that stuff now, but a great guy, very creative, uh, whatever. There's no issue there. Cause it's always a more delicious. Like when, when you see a tweet you don't like, and it comes from somebody you really kind of hate, you know, <laughs> and that's <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just not the case here. Um, but uh, I, I quote tweeted it and, and said something about, you know, if you see somebody selling a sandwich and they didn't, uh, they didn't grow the wheat, grind the grain to make the flour, to bake the bread and raise the animals to slaughter for the meat, you know, then they're just a character in someone else's work to try to show the absurdity on that. But I think, um, I think it's a, a very real point to discuss because when you start out, you have to do everything, but pretty quickly in the process, you can get some help with things like thumbnails and scripts and editing and all of that. And so, does that change the the legitimacy of you as a creative? And I think it's like that for music and writing and everything else. It's not unique to YouTube at all. But this was, to me, a, a bridge too far where you're a YouTuber if you do every single thing in the process and you're just like a bit player if you don't. That rubbed me the wrong way. Well, yeah, just simply because the fact is it's not like you're by default doing less if you're delineating some tasks to other people some a lot of the time you want help on things so that you can do more right like like yeah, part yeah. of the reason i wanted an editor was and i've said this before because i'd already edited probably 800 videos like total <laughs> and 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 yeah. i was a little tired of that process but also because the big reason was to free up that time so I could do more and do something else while the edit was occurring. So mm -hmm. to me, a little bit of the implication is if you have help, then you're taking a back seat in this process. To me, mm -hmm. it's almost like if you have help, then you can take like a, you can improve your driver's seat. You can do more that you didn't have time to before. You can you can market your stuff better. You can work on merchandise. You can work on new formats, right? Like, gosh, when I was stuck in the same formats on Vsauce 2 for years, guess what? It was really hard to sit down and experiment and develop and pilot new ideas because I'm eyeball deep in making you know, BDP number 49. Well, if <laughs> yeah. I have help on BDP 49, then I can be freed to develop, you know, a new show that maybe is better. And that's a good thing. I do want to add a little context uh, because, because uh, the Twoon who 
That's that's uh, his screen name on Twitter, um, and I think broadly across different platforms. Uh, he he clarified this too because there are a bunch of people reacting like me, and uh, you know, seeing this as as faulty faulty logic and a, the wrong way to approach it. So he did a series that that tried to clear things up in the. It's multiple tweets, so I'm not going to read them. But the general thrust here is that when you start to outsource that's those things, and it may be somebody far away, you don't have this kind of close contact with them. Uh, it dilutes the you part, uh, which is the way he put it, is that you, lo- you lose some of the you. And the example is, it's an extreme one, but I get his point, that T-Series, you, you wouldn't look at T-Series, and think that's a YouTuber, you know, it's this factory of content. That's really a different thing, kind of in the way that uh, a big corporation is very different from like somebody at a craft fair with a table, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But his point is that as you move closer to being that larger body with multiple people, it just plain dilutes that, that vision and that design. And I think that's the challenge here from what you're talking about where, yeah, you're freed up to work on new things and do different stuff and it makes the best use of your talents once you get help. Um, But how do you make sure that whatever that new thing is, you're executing your vision and keeping the you part of it in because you've done this. And so, so I want to kind of pull this out of Kevin Lieber of Vsauce too. Well, part of it is, you know, when, when you start working with other people is to train them on how you do things and how you like things being done. But I would, I would also say it's important to be open-minded about being wrong on some stuff and deferring to someone else's expertise, deferring to somebody else's vision. Like for instance, when we started working with uh, John Swan on Vsauce 2 edits recently, he changed he changed the font and he changed the way that like text was displayed on screen in a radically different way than than I had it and i like it better it it looks more modern it looks more sleek it looks fresher it just looks better and it's not something that i would have done so yeah in some ways it's less me but what if what if i'm worse <laughs> Like, what if it could be better if somebody better than me helped me with my thing? That's that. That's that. I think of like bands, right? I think of of music. Like, it, it's a collaborative thing. You know what I mean? Like, just because you wrote most of the song doesn't mean that like the bass player or the drummer might not have a good idea here and there to to improve the song, or even like Nine Inch Nails, right? Like Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor period. He does everything. Right. Right. And I I think the cure is mostly Robert Smith as well. There are a couple of bands that's just actually Mm -hmm. one person. And then when they perform live, you know, uh, Trent Reznor is not going to be like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins (laughs) wearing like a drum on his back and like, (laughs) you know, tambourines and like honking a horn. If, If anybody knows what I'm referencing, playing like nine instruments at once. He has he has a band. <laughs> well, well, are the other members in that band Nine Inch Nails? Right. I think yes, they are. 
this came up with Metallica with with uh, Jason Newstead leaving the bass player and Robert. Uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Uh, Is it Truillo? Yeah, it's, I think yeah, true. Yeah, I'm not sure. Either way, either way, he's awesome. And uh, this thing I saw a video on this shortly after he he came on. And there's a good documentary about this whole process. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's easily searchable just for Metallica documentary about them replacing Jason Newstead and finding, trying to find somebody who fit Metallica. And one of the reactions to that shortly after was like, Hey, at what point does the new guy become part of Metallica? Is he, when does he stop being a gap filling, very good musician? Uh, but is he really part of Metallica? And so all of these questions are kind of related in my mind. You know, they're the same, they're the same issue. And there's some strange stuff like, and there are contradictions in my own head about this too. Uh, but before I mention one, I want to say the first thing that popped in my head when I saw the initial tweet was an excellent YouTube video uh, called like how to make a sandwich in only six months for $1,500. Yeah. And this guy, <laughs> it's a remarkable project where he he grows everything he needs to make his own sandwich. And it takes him six months and it costs him $1,500. And it's such a magnificent ex, uh, example of how the division of labor matters, uh, how probably a factory producing bread did a, a better job at making that than uh, he did. Uh, I'm sure that his sandwich was not the best sandwich of his life other than the taste of self-satisfaction. I bet that tasted good in a way. Uh, that's an extreme example of it. Um, but I do think there's more to it than that. And the, when we talk about what makes a YouTuber or a musician or anything like that, you know, I think of, you got all these newfangled bands like Nine Inch Nails and The Cure. Uh, but I think of Elton John is Elton John less of an artist because he's worked so close closely with Bernie Taupin who wrote his songs with it. Like they're a classic pairing. Um, it, would he be more of an artist? Would he be uh, like a more legitimate musician if Bernie Taupin didn't exist and he wrote the lyrics and the music to everything? No, no, there's no way. Uh, I, I help you write Vsauce 2 material. Are you trash now? Are you nothing? Are you not the uh, the YouTuber that you were in 2015? Have you been diluted very, very badly? Or uh, has the amount of minutes of content you've published increased by like 300% annually? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the latter. I actually think about this in terms of my work on Vsauce, actually. And as it relates to what I was doing prior to Vsauce. So prior to Vsauce, I was making these comedy videos, right, all by myself with no outside influence. So yeah, maybe that was like the purest, most Kevin content in its, pure, you know, 100% nascent stage. And then when I started working with Vsauce, I started working with Michael and a whole new audience and my content changed because the audience was different. They expected different things. They liked different things. All of a sudden, Michael starts making educational videos and it's like, okay, people want educational content. I'll start making educational videos. 
And, you know, we were on the first podcast um, recently and they, they kind of asked about this a little bit, you know, something along the lines of like, if Vsauce didn't exist, kind of like what you would be making. It's, it's impossible to know, but I, I do know what I was making before Vsauce and it was like really absurdist, surreal, very, very stupid comedy videos, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. The Vsauce 2 videos are much better. Like I needed to have a different audience. I needed to have more restrictions. I needed to have somebody else, maybe a lot of people telling me, hey, please channel your madness and your creativity and your interest in making videos like in this lane. And sometimes if you squash your creativity into a lane, it's a it's it's more beneficial than it is for you yeah. to be this like free roaming spirit, like, you know, painting in the nude. And like, this is a, like all me. And it's like, you know, maybe all you and th this does not apply to everyone. This is just me talking about myself. Maybe all me is not the best me, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think this is really clear if somebody thinks about writing, because everybody has written something at, at some point, everybody, it, it can be a school assignment. And you know the difference between having a topic to write about, whether it's an idea you've been thinking about and you finally want to put it down, or it's, it's like your eighth grade English teacher telling you to write an essay about something. Well, it's a much easier process than if somebody hands you a sheet of paper and just says, go do whatever you want. Some people have something to draw from and they really thrive in, in that open world, like Minecraft esque play as you want mentality. It's great in some ways not to have those limitations. However, it can be really stifling and really bad not to have anything at all to go on. And we, uh, we hit this on, on Vsauce 2 at, at different times where it's like, okay, what's the next video going to be? And it's like, well, is it going to be a science-based thing? Is it going to be a math-based thing? Pretty much every topic is on the table. And that process advances really slowly compared to when it's like, oh, let's do, let's do a video that has a game theory topic. Let's do one that's a probability paradox. Like then it's, it's okay, here are five things that we can talk about and choose one that's going to be good. It's a completely different system. Um, that doesn't apply perfectly to every genre and every creative pursuit, but you get the idea uh, that what Kevin's saying is, is the total sandbox life can be not great for creativity. Um, Ryan Kinder, who's in our Discord, he's in Nerd City's Discord as well. Uh, he wrote a book with, I, I think, a thousand writing prompts. He was he put it up um, in the Discord the other day, and I've been thinking about that. Uh, it's free with with Kindle, uh, whatever the Kindle Unlimited, you know, so people can check that out. Uh, we'll put a link in the description on it. But that kind of thing, like writing prompts, are very useful to break out of this. You get a tiny little rule to follow that spurs your creativity and gets you going into writing your actual project if you don't go beyond the prompt or whatever. But that's a good example where people will sit down wanting to write something, they don't have anything to write about, and they go nowhere. 
they can get a little prompt, play around with it for 20 minutes, um, and then that's their warm up and they're ready to go. But I want to, I want to, I want to go back to that confusion in my head because I say all of these things that nobody is less of a, a YouTuber or artist by working with somebody. In fact, it opens them up and allows them to do more. At the same time, uh, and Ben put this note down. Who becomes the YouTuber when multiple people work on a single project? And I have never once, and I never will, say in a conversation that I am a YouTuber. All of my work is on YouTube. 98% is at this point. Um, I would never, ever say that. And somebody, somebody, I I was in a kind of an argument about a a video in a private group chat. Somebody ripped me for not ever having made a video. They're completely wrong about that, but they're also completely right about that. (laughs) I've never made a video. I don't think this, I don't even think the the podcasts that, that were video podcasts count as being a YouTuber. It just doesn't, you know? And so all of these things that we've talked about for 15 minutes, I say, I say that And then at the same time, I would never say that I'm a YouTuber. I'm not. But you are. Yeah. And the Fine Bros are. And they're not even in their videos, right? Wouldn't the Fine Brothers consider themselves YouTubers? Even though they just facilitate other YouTubers and, and, and different age groups and different people reacting to things, but I would think that they would say they are, they are YouTubers. So I think that is a great point and a great question. And I don't know that there is an answer for that. You know, YouTube is a platform. It's a place to upload videos and you can be T-series. You can be the, like the digital producer for the tonight show and be uploading Jimmy Fallon clips is is the person uploading those clips a YouTuber? Jimmy Fallon is not a YouTuber, right? Will Will Smith is a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah. Will Smith, the hero, <laughs> the hero of, of YouTube, <laughs> YouTube Rewind, yes. is a very famous YouTuber. The man who single-handedly destroyed YouTube Rewind. Um, yeah. No. Is Joe Rogan a YouTuber? No, I don't think so at all. I don't think Joe... Even though he's wildly famous on YouTube, he's, that's not... He's a podcaster. That's a side effect. He's a podcaster. Yeah, it's a side effect of what he does. Yeah, his yeah. podcast it, it, is it, on I, YouTube, and it's wildly popular, but but that is a good Is Jordan point. Peterson a YouTuber? Who? Is Jordan Peterson a YouTuber? Now, this is, is anybody who does factual kind of lectury stuff that's gained traction on YouTube, are they a YouTuber? I mean, I don't think this distinction matters. It's totally academic. Right. Our, it is to me. Khan Academy, our, is our Khan Academy YouTubers. Right. Uh, well, uh, that's a really good example because we both, you know, we know three blue, one brown, Grant Sanderson. He does math videos. Yeah. He started on Khan Academy with uh, some kind of fellowship with them. Um, I forget the actual program, but I think he made content with them for about a year before doing three blue, one brown. Did he just become a YouTuber when he started his own channel? Uh, I have a feeling it was the same guy and the same quality and the same Grant Sanderson a year before he started that channel. So when did when did it kick in? 
<laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, like, that I can't, I can't answer this question. Here, and I don't know that there is a uh, definitive answer of what makes a YouTuber a YouTuber. It's almost like you know it when you see it sort of thing, I guess. How do, how do we create guidelines for that? It's going to change from person to person. Yeah. You know, somebody who does grind away, like like the Twoon says, uh, writing their own stuff, recording, whether it's audio or video, um, doing all of their editing, doing any effects work along with it, doing stuff as simple as uh, as metadata, SEO related things with tags and description like that's all part of the process. And if you're doing all of that, you'd look at somebody who just has a, a little piece of that action and think, oh, they're not the same as me. Well, no, they, they probably aren't, you know, but does that distinction matter at all? Uh, and this relates to something we're working about, working on, uh, on Vsauce too. And we can't, we can't throw that out completely, but there's, there's a psychological effect where you can really get locked in to looking at something a certain way because you know it works and that's how it's done. And you may not see another way to do it. You may not, uh, see another opportunity because you just have tunnel vision on this thing and working with other people provides the extra perspectives to see other solutions, to see, uh, different ways to innovate a thing, to go in a new direction. And that's, that's tremendously helpful to have an entirely separate worldview. And that comes into play on somebody doing a thumbnail for you. Well, and it also comes into play a little bit with the when when we talked about the the episode about kind of creative burnout and stuff, you know, one of my tips was to have a confidant and have somebody to talk to, have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And this just rolls into exactly what you're talking about. But I think that the Toon's definition of what a YouTuber is, is a great place to start. And he's right. Like as far as what he listed, this is what a YouTuber is. It's it's hard to argue that. I think what where it becomes murkier is once you strip away kind of somebody doing everything on their own, at what level are they, like what he says, a bit player? You know, what at what mm-hmm. point are they just cog number 79 in this massive T-series, <laughs> you know, whatever corporation? Um, or what, uh, what part are they like Linus tech tips who has a gigantic company and like a fleet of people working on his stuff, but Linus tech tips is still a YouTuber. He's still like the captain of the ship, right? He's still steering it Mm -hmm. wherever he wants. He's the face of the channel. I mean, we talked about, um, King of rant. Are you going to say King King of of random? Random. Yeah. Yeah, King of random who like Grant was still a YouTuber, even when he took a step back. So do you have to start? To me, he was even more of a YouTuber. I mean, that was, that was amazing, which uh, this is like the 14th time we've mentioned it in some capacity on this podcast, but he was a Twoon approved YouTuber (laughs) for For a long time. time. (laughs) For a long time he was. And uh, because he was a little bit, you know, not overwhelmed, but like it took over his life uh, to do all of those things. He wanted to move beyond that. 
and became somebody who was more of that CEO executing his vision and eventually transferred his whole channel. Did he stop being a YouTuber the moment he stepped off camera? That's insane to me. That's nuts. There's no, I don't think he did. No, but I just thought of another weird example. Do you remember Poppy? Poppy was yeah. this YouTube channels, this this girl who just made very very weird short videos. Well, yeah, that was awesome. From what I understand, Poppy was an actress. It was a, it was a guy's girlfriend. And like he was really the driving force behind all of that. And Poppy was the character, right? That was the allegation. I think they had a lawsuit over who who kind of owned Poppy, you know, the image of Poppy. And uh, this one party was saying, yeah, this was effectively something we created and wrote. And somebody else was saying, no, this is a persona that I, I invented. And this is kind of who I am and I'm Poppy kind of thing. But yeah, that's a, that's a really good example. Who was the YouTuber in the Poppy scenario? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask. Is Poppy a YouTuber or is Poppy an actor? Right? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess you just need more. I, we would need more information to make that judgment. But it's definitely an interesting thought exercise at, at the very least. But at the end of the day... What it reminded me of is there's a lot of gatekeeping in certain fandoms, right? Like in the metal community, yep. oh my gosh, there's so much really boring, lame gatekeeping where it's like, you're not a real metal fan if you just listen to like mainstream, you know, radio metal, you know, you don't listen to all all this obscure Swedish death metal that I listen to. I'm a real metal fan. You're not right. And that's not right. exclusive to metal. That's I'm a real gamer and you're like a fake gamer, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I'm a real gamer because <laughs> I've played uh, whatever for a thousand hours and I've platinumed all these video games. Cause I'm, you know, that is such yeah. a boring thing to me that, that gatekeeping fandom thing. And, and that's what the uh, what a real YouTuber thing is just reminded me of. The funny thing is that the Twoon mentions gatekeeping in the end to his addendum thread uh, where uh, he says, this is definitely gatekeeping at its finest, though I think it's important to have a clear difference between a YouTuber and someone who works for a YouTube channel. I've had a lot of situations where people just completely misunderstood what I do. End of thread. Uh, that sums up a whole lot of it. I mean, he recognizes that what he's proposing here is the gatekeeping that you just detailed. Um, at the same time, there is a clear difference between a YouTuber like Kevin Lieber of Vsauce 2 and someone who works for a YouTube channel. Uh, me of nothing, right? <laughs> like We're not the same. Uh, so it's really tough to sort out what's what in this. And on the part about misunderstanding what what he does i have sympathy there because somebody flat out in the early days somebody flat out asked me if i was a drug dealer what uh, because yeah yeah because i you know i never talked about who i work with and i still barely do um i kind of lived at home it didn't appear to 
have, you know, that I had any kind of job. I was mysteriously going to other countries for months at a time. They're like, well, the only way you can sustain a real income is if you are doing something incredibly shady. So I, I got that. I mean, it made sense. I looked at, I looked at it from their point of view and I'm like, yeah, I'd wonder about what this person did too. <laughs> so, uh, I, I get all of this, but I don't have, I don't have the answers I seek. I do want to know from you, is there something that would make you feel like you were not a YouTuber anymore? Like what would have to change for you to feel like you, you just weren't an actual YouTuber while still making videos? Because I mean, yeah. Okay. Yep. You're still doing Vsauce too, but you wake up one day and and you're like, you know what? I'm not a YouTuber anymore. What has to happen to drive that? I guess the only thing I could possibly imagine is if I hired a, a, a replacement host and it got to some sort of point at which I wasn't even involved in making the videos at all. Like maybe if... I still owned the channel, but did no work on it. I would consider myself like an owner of a YouTube channel and not a YouTuber, yeah. like an active YouTuber anymore. I think that that's if, fair. So if you, I mean, right now you currently determine topics, uh, determine what goes into those topics, you know, you're heavily involved in uh, every bit of the process on a video. You know, you're giving feedback to to John on editing. You're uh, spending plenty of time on thumbnails and titles and tweaking all of that stuff. Like your hands are in every bit of the process. Let's say everything changes. All of that's on autopilot. And your job is to read a script and record that. Are you still a YouTuber then? So you don't even know what the topic is. You're just reading it on site and like you pop on an, a, a teleprompter and hit record and do this thing and send it off to this uh, little factory. Are you still a YouTuber? I don't know. I guess not. I, I guess I would agree with, with the, the, the general thesis there that at that point, maybe a, you're, you are just an actor. I think that's a pretty clear separation between like host actor and YouTuber. The, the there are pure hosts on YouTube I'll, that I don't I don't feel like they're really a YouTuber. I think they're just a great host. My question is is going back to the end of his addendums or whatever. And this is a question I have for you. Like why does it matter? Like like who are we trying to explain what is and isn't a YouTuber to? Because nobody outside of internet culture and YouTube even has the slightest idea of how YouTube can even be a career. So how about we start there and not get bogged down within like the minutia of inside baseball YouTube talk of which person is just the host on a YouTube channel and who does it all themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely a thought experiment kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's an academic distinction, but it's, a pretty interesting one. And it's made me think about so many scenarios I've been in. Um, I'm in some group chats with other YouTube people. I'm actually one of the very few people in those uh, who doesn't, 
who isn't a face on a channel or a voice on a channel, depending. Um, and it's sometimes that dynamic is a little odd. Like I, there are times where I feel like I'm not part of a certain conversation because I can't be. Mm-hmm. And I see it happen with editors as well, uh, where if somebody just makes their career and their involvement on YouTube strictly editing for others, they tend to have a different role in some of those conversations uh, than than somebody who is the on-camera actual channel person. Uh, so I, I since that tweet, I've thought about these things in person as well. I mean, I've, I've been to parties where everybody there is 100% considered by the universe a YouTuber, and then there's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this doesn't matter in terms of the social dynamic of the party, but it's sort of like, who let this guy in? <laughs> like, he, he doesn't meet the criteria. Uh, so, so it matters, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it does. It, it, I can't, I can't figure it out, but I was um, really intrigued by the whole avalanche of thoughts that this one tweet uh, from the Twoon inspired. I, I thought so too. And I was even, it is such a, it is such a fun thing to think about and an interesting thing to think about because even the joke retweet that you made about a person like making every bit of a sandwich it was funny and it was accurate, but it was also not accurate at the same time because then right. I started thinking like, well, I don't have to like invent and make my own camera in order to be a YouTuber. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not like molding plastic and like creating lenses and like building a camera from scratch uh, in order to film myself to upload it to YouTube. So um that would be awesome, though, if you upload a video and people are like, uh, did you even code the software to edit that video, bro? Yeah, yeah. did you even <laughs> invent your own version of uh, uh, video editing software uh, to edit this thing? You, you phony, you complete phony. This whole thing is so realistic and so absurd at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's what fascinates me about it is it's exactly what the exchange that we just had where this is a real thing. But how far do you take it? I don't know. It gets insane and hilarious when you go to the extremes on it. But at the same time, it's completely and totally real. That's what I was just going to say. It's like he's completely right and completely wrong at the same time. And, uh, you know, that's that's a weird place to be (laughs) for sure. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool distinction if you can pull that off. Yeah, it's a good one. Well, uh, let's hit some, let's hit some questions. Yeah, actually, uh, as an intro to the questions, we had uh, a doubly big week. You mentioned that uh, producer Ben W had his eighth birthday, <laughs> so do a little clap wow. for uh, Ben W turning eight, yeah. uh, and also had his media debut uh, jumping in as a guest uh, as we talked on the first podcast. Uh, that'll that'll be out uh, in coming weeks. We'll let you know. But Kevin and I jumped on to uh, the first podcast you'll see as T1 podcast with Lars and Joe. That was really cool. And and uh, Ben popped in for a segment. So that was neat. And just the day after, uh, Baseweight, who is in the baby gang and uh, ever present in the Discord, whose music we've we've mentioned on the show and, and popped in uh, a while ago, um, his birthday also just the day after. So the reign of Ben W., 
is over. The reign of base weight has begun. <laughs> and in another day, it'll be somebody else. Uh, but <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> and um, celebrating the eighth birthday party. Yeah. Congrats, Ben. And so we do have, uh, we have questions on this. Um, oh, I gotta, I gotta pick a good one. Cause we actually have a lot, uh, base weight. The newest of the birthday boys gets the first question. Then if you could have any one item for free, no matter the price, what would it be? Oh, Oh is right. This is a tough one. Can it just be like land? <laughs> is the, is, is I, that I think an it can item? be anything. Is land an item? I would take land. That would be my item, no matter the price. Man, I would love to have a ridiculous amount of land. That would be awesome. In a certain place? Do you just want a lot of it, or do you want a certain location? Um, That's kind of to be determined, I think. You know? Okay. But, you know, if uh, I'm not moving tomorrow, and I could just have, like, all of the land around where I currently live with, like, the mm-hmm. snap of my fingers... That's that's what I would do for sure. I, to me, that would be the most valuable thing. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, that would be really high on my list as well. I mean, I wish I had about 10 square miles and uh, the ability to build like a 50 foot wall and a 30 foot moat uh, <laughs> on the edges of it. Like that would be ideal. Wait, do you know uh, that? But I think if I had Ted, uh, sorry, yeah. before we move on and we st- we're, we're on land discussion, do you know that Ted Turner owns enough land or, or he... His goal was to own enough land that he could ride his horse on his own land, I believe, from the top of the United States to the bottom. I didn't know that. That's a lot of land. Yeah, we need to look this up afterwards. I don't think it was coast to coast. I think that would probably be pretty crazy. But I'm pretty sure that Ted Turner was like, I want land from like the Canadian border to the Mexican border. That's a lofty goal. That's a... That's a big highway. Especially because a lot of that land, once you get out west, is federal land that you you cannot, like a private citizen can't even purchase, right? Yeah. Like eight, like 82% of Nevada, for example, I think is owned by the federal government. It's like right? all federal that, land. That place is a wasteland. <laughs> yeah, it is truly a wasteland. Like there's a reason why it was that whole section of the world is like, oh, this is the perfect place to detonate nuclear tests. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you <laughs> when you get down to the southwest, there are vast amounts of nothing in many areas. Yeah, um, yeah that's good. If I, I I wanted to go with a mundane one to limit myself to mundane things, mm-hmm. you know, like a small thing. And I think I would take I think I would take beef okay. because I, I can do so many things with it. It's a massive category. Beef can go in so many cots uh, and I would want that or have people around me who wanted it indefinitely. You know, I would if I had a never ending supply of beef that I didn't have to pay for. That's another part. I usually don't buy beef because it's so much more expensive than pork and chicken that I opt for those two. So it's a thing that I otherwise don't get a whole lot. And I would definitely use a lot. Okay, just steaks all day, every day. Steaks and burgers. Just just steaks, steaks and burgers. So I can. I mean, I I can I can say that I witnessed you eat a steak that was the size of Texas. So. That was a 32-ounce 
That was a 32-ounce cup. I still have a picture of it on my phone. I was, yeah. I, was, I was horrified. I was horrified when that thing came on. on the, when that, that platter of meat was put on the table in front of you. And you just had such a serious look on your face. And I'm like, you're not going to eat all that. And you're like, oh, yes, I am. And you did. On the menu, it was listed as as a meal for two. <laughs> Literally. And I remember ordering yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, Eric, who who did effects uh, stuff uh, for Vsauce, he was with mm-hmm. us. And Eric, uh, is uh, is he a vegan or a vegetarian? Yeah, uh, vegan. He's one I'm of pretty them. Pretty sure, vegan. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. And so uh, the waiter was like, oh, you guys are going to split this, right? And I'm like, no, he's he's he doesn't eat meat. He's like, it's just you? I'm like, yeah, challenge accepted. And then it came out and it was so big. It was the biggest cut of meat I've ever seen served to somebody not in a movie with a scene about how big the cut of meat is. It was awesome. But I ate it. You did. Yeah, yeah. I've still got the picture. Still got the picture on my phone. I even transferred it when I upgraded phones. I'm like, oh, this one's got to make the transition. We should post it. We should put it on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Let's, Let's do that. It was fantastic. Um. Uh, actually, Jeff, Jeff Davis asked favorite cut of steak. Do you have one? Um, do you have a specific one? I don't, I don't think that I don't claim to be a, enough of a connoisseur to have one, you know, come to, come to mm-hmm. mind right away. So, you know, um, I will tell you, this is, this is what I'll, this is, here's my steak story. Uh, I went to Vegas once and went to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Vegas and got yeah the one in Caesar's Palace yeah 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 and got his beef hey, there are a couple now in Vegas yeah he, I I ordered his beef Wellington because oh. that is one of his like yep. signature dishes if, if if you weren't aware like Gordon Ramsay's beef Wellington is like one of the things he's known for yeah. guess what it was amazing <laughs> it was it was by far the best like steak thing I ever yep. ate I didn't actually know this, that, that you'd gone there and eaten that, which is funny because that is my answer as well. The beef Wellington at Gordon Ramsay's pub and grill. What? Really? <laughs> yes. It is. It is the best beef that I have ever had in my life. And you can get it at, at the pub and, uh, uh, what's the official name? He's got several different types of restaurants. Like he has one just called steak and that's a higher caliber more expensive and finer stuff, but his pubs are the kind of place that you can just walk into Mm -hmm. and it's a casual dining environment, but it's very, very good food. Um, my mom and I went to, uh, his pub in Caesars in Atlantic city last year Mm -hmm. and I had a a meal credit. Uh, it was like a hundred dollars and I'm like, well, I'll just get something I otherwise wouldn't get because that Wellington is like $44. I mean, it's, it's very expensive for a normal meal. However, it is the best thing I have ever put in my mouth. And that's a long list. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, however, it's the greatest thing I ever ate. So kind of worth oh, the 50 bucks. <laughs> it totally is. If there's something that's kind of lower, reasonably priced instead of some like $400 three Michelin star meal, that's insane. If you want to have a nice dinner and there's a Gordon Ramsay pub around you, if you like beef, like I, I cannot imagine this being a bad thing for anybody. I just can't. No, that's amazing. That's nuts. I cannot believe literally the same meal at the same place 
in different parts of the country. And that must have been 10 years ago, right? It must have been a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, uh, I went to the fancy place. I didn't go to the whatever the pub is. I didn't know there was a thing. So I went to the fancy place and it was freaking expensive. But uh, it was one of those things where it's like, I'm going to do this once. So, you know. Right. Once in your life. Yeah, I'm going to do this once. Who cares? Drop $200 on a meal. Um, but look, it's like 10 years later, I'm still talking about it. So I guess it was worth it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Mr. Chinchilla. Well, I'm confused here because the discord name has changed to Mr. from Mansour, which I got ripped on cause I can't pronounce it right in the credits. I'm still working on it. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm going to get better. So the Mr. Chinchilla, um, had two questions. What game would you eat? Game. This is all you. Game? Uh, no, no, I've got an answer. What game would you eat? A video game? What video game would I eat? I could be oh, anything. Oh, I see. Could I be guess. A board I mean, game. I assume it meant video game, but I don't see why it couldn't be a board game. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Burger Time would be a great game to eat. Ooh, uh, I don't know it's pretty if good. hardly anybody listening to this remembers Burger Time. That is an old... That's an old reference. That is an old game, but... It was this game in the. Uh, was it? Did it start on Atari? I think. I think I played it on NES, where literally you just are like climbing ladders to walk across. Very Donkey Kong like. Very Donkey Kong like. Yeah, the structure of it is like Donkey Kong. It's kind of like scaffolding. Yeah. And you're climbing up and down these ladders across the scaffolding, and you're trying to walk over certain ingredients so that they fall in order to make a burger so you'll fall you'll you'll walk across the bottom bun then you'll walk across like the lettuce and then you walk across the patty and then you walk across the tomato and then the cheese and then the top of the bun that's it that's the game it's so funny how rudimentary games were back then nes is to me where gaming the oldest gaming you can do that still is fun. If you go before mm. NES to like Atari, ColecoVision, Intellivision, man, those games suck. You have to love the repetition. You have to enjoy I can play, you know, you can you have to enjoy that you can play Pac-Man and repeat the levels until you break the the score counter you know like you have to enjoy that aspect because the actual gameplay not that great after a couple hours a couple hours gosh i don't think i ever played pac-man for more than 20 minutes <laughs> honestly that game is boring <laughs> did you ever play pac-man at the sit-down thing at, a, at an old pizza hut do you remember that oh how pizza huts used to have that tabletop pac-man yeah they were called cocktail ar- arcades like they're a cocktail table. Oh, it has a name. Yeah, yeah. I've looked into them before. I almost got one. Oh, so that was so cool. Yeah, they're really cool. Yeah. Oh. They had like the fake that's awesome. the fake wood grain a lot of the time on them. Right. The paneling. Yeah, the yeah. fake wood grain paneling. Yeah. That's yeah. an aesthetic, man. I would just I would just eat Scrabble because it sounds already like Scrabble is a cereal old people would eat to get their fiber intake. <laughs> like, Gladys, pour me a bowl of Scrabble. <laughs> You know, that's like your old man voice. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a bad old man voice. <laughs> 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 some Scrabble. It's like Herbert the pervert on the Family Guy. Yeah, you just have to add some <laughs> inappropriate whistling. 
But, <laughs> but if I told you there is a cereal called Scrabble that was sort of like Wheaties or Bran Flakes or something like that, you'd believe me. It sounds totally plausible. There was a cereal that was like Alphabets or something like that. Do you remember? Alphabets. Alphabets. Right? Alphabets. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Pretty, it also sounds like... Sc- it's like Lucky Charms without the ma- uh, uh, marshmallows. Yeah. Um, and Scrabble also sounds like Scrapple, which is like a breakfast thing. Yeah. And, and it's fat and good. parts of pig. Mm. That's, is that Very a southern good. thing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's not not great for you to eat every day. No. I wouldn't advise a daily dose of Scrapple in the morning, <laughs> but I would advise a bowl of Scrabble. Mm. Uh, last one it has to be pretty important. The payoff has to be big for anybody who's stuck around until the end. Uh, and this comes from James, who is an essential worker in Australia and therefore working uh, about 16, 17 hours a day, seven days a week. Still manages to have time to jump into the Discord and harass and entertain us. Uh, he wants to know, Kevin, boxers or briefs? Oh, definitely boxers. The, the briefs went out the window a long time ago. For sure. Did you wear briefs as a kid? Did you have the underoos? As a kid, when we grew up, you had to. Like, were boxers even a thing in yeah, the 80s? They, Not really. I remember, you know, I remember my older brother, who's the one I'm thinking, I have two brothers that are that are older. This one is 10 years older. So he was, you know, in high school when I was pretty young. Like, uh, But I remember that he had boxers and thinking sp- exactly that. Like, who has boxers? <laughs> you know, like, who wears, but who doesn't wear underwear? You know, this isn't even the same thing, but it, that would have been the late 80s. Yeah. I don't recall anybody doing that until really the 90s. So you, when did you make the transition? I think in the, in the 90s, like when I could. <laughs> I think once boxers became like a, an option, uh, I definitely switched to that. There was just, there's something unappealing and I don't know what age I started feeling this way or like if it, if it was like, so, I don't know why this is so funny to me. Yeah. I just find them creepy. Like I found, I find briefs, like I associate briefs with like creepy men. <laughs> I don't know why. Like they're, they're like gross. <laughs> if, if uh, subscriptions dip after this, we know that you wear briefs. In that you're so angry about <laughs> what Kevin's just said. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that you're out for good. I know. Uh, I actually don't own a pair of boxers or briefs. I like boxer briefs. I like the combination. I had boxers at some point and I honestly just didn't didn't like it. Didn't go for it. Uh, going back to that sandbox, there are times when too much freedom harms you. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. <laughs> With the movement in boxers, the boxer briefs are kind of the best of, of both worlds. I think. I think that's just. I feel that's that way. The, yeah. It might be the final evolution of of men's underwear. I don't know where <laughs> we go from there. I think we've we've figured it out, and we can have the great minds who develop that. You know, kind of tackle other problems at this point. I can't even see what the next evolution might be because I, I I understand you have briefs. And you'd think, I want something looser that's more like shorts. You get boxers, and then somebody's saying, let's combine these two to get the best of both worlds. But I can't even envision what phase four 
for underwear could be. I don't, I can't even guess at what you could do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, in like 1911, could you have envisioned television? I, probably not. So we're just going to have to wait and see what the great minds who are toiling over underwear evolution right now come up with. It's not going to be us. And if you have a good idea for the next evolution of underwear, let us know on Twitter. Jump in the Discord and say it. Tell us what your vision for loin coverings in the year 2050 are. And also tell me if you, you are wildly offended by my take on briefs, because I would love if somebody came out and uh, explained to me why I'm wrong. <laughs> I do I do want somebody to die on that hill of, of briefs. Yeah. I want somebody under the age of 50 to die on the hill of briefs. Yeah, yeah brief hill. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Oh, yeah. Uncle... Uh, Uncle James was, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, he was on Brief Hill, and uh, he didn't, he didn't make it back down. <laughs> we don't talk about him a lot anymore, but pour one out for Uncle James. Yeah, well, uh, we have um, a new live stream coming up. Before you know it, we'll let you know, you know, as soon as we have a date and a time for that. Uh, I th- non-food topic. Non-food. Non-food topic non-food. that will be fully accessible to the internationals. Yes. Everyone will be able to be involved. There won't be any weird um, domestic United States things. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Smash Brothers <laughs> characters, perhaps, but yeah, that yeah. could be a good one. Everybody knows all those characters. We'll see. But um, yeah, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the create unknown. That's the best way to stay connected to all of this stuff. The best way to stay connected to the live streams, but, you know, also hop in the Discord so that we can talk directly to you at all times, seven days a week, about boxers briefs or boxer briefs. All times. We're checking in on those things by the hour. Uh, we're uh, Frankly, we're monitoring you and, and collecting that data. We have a folder on everybody in the Discord and <laughs> we record what they, <laughs> what types of underwear they prefer. <laughs> Nothing else, though. It's just the underwear thing. That's the only thing in the folder. This is why we actually secretly started this podcast, was just to get to this point. It took us, you know, 40 episodes or so to, to be comfortable enough to, <laughs> like, share that with you guys. But <laughs> More like the Create Underwear podcast. That's <laughs> what the U really stands for. Yeah, I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both cease to be YouTubers in any meaningful form. Yeah, it's over. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. See you, Space Cowboys. We'd like to thank everybody who we talk to every day in the Discord, and especially the patrons who make this show happen. Thanks to our editor, Marcus Allen, and to associate producers Jeff Davis, Isaac Teal, Trev's Dead, James Gallagher, Baseweight, Andrew Stimson, Keaton Sample, Jesse Robertson, Boromir, Masur Chinchilla, Sean Malone, Jen Mafasanti, Kevin with an E, Menard, Monahem Yogurt 96, Fraken, and our newest addition, Mikhail. Thank you for signing up, Mikhail. We love it. Also, thanks to baby wrangling super producer Ben Webster. Thanks as well to Paula Lieber and the stunningly gorgeous Mo Lewitt, and to our very generous sponsor of every episode, Eagle Brand Sardines. The Create Unknown is a production of Unknown Media. Okay, bye. <laughs>